Hello, Belinda. Hi, Omar. What is this week's gratitude blooming theme? It's card number four for Scythia, representing wholeness. And for those who may not have the 39 card deck from Gratitude Blooming in front of them, what is the illustration from the artist Arlene Kimsuda, who spent 100 days illustrating 100 different plants? Well, what's very noticeable about this card and this representation of the Forsythia plant is how it's focused on just one branch. And there's a lot of uh, flowers kind of slowly starting to emerge off of this one branch. And um, you almost kind of get the sense of wholeness being this emergent process. And uh, the word wholeness is written in cursive to the right of this one branch. And yeah, it's it's really simple. So it makes me think about how wholeness can potentially be a simple process, even though I think of it as being a really big endeavor. <laughs> yeah, it, it it almost looks has like a tree branch vibe to it. And you almost could mistake it for a branch of a tree as opposed to a flower by itself, just from the illustration. It's almost like a cutting of it. And so in your research on the Forsythia, uh, what did you find? Well, I just love how every week we have an opportunity to really explore nature in this very intimate way. Forsythia is actually part of a genius of flowering plants in the olive family. And they're mostly native to Eastern Asia. And there's one species that's native to Southeastern Europe. So they're oftentimes a symbol of the coming of springtime. Uh, Here in Mount Shasta, California, in the town, we oftentimes uh, see the Forsythia shrub emerging in the early spring, and it basically turns the whole town yellow, bright yellow. Uh, So I started to make that connection last spring when I started to see these shrubs everywhere. And I was like, I think that's the forsythia plant. And I started like Googling forsythia plant images on Google. And and lo and behold, they're very common in uh, California and, and just the symbol of springtime coming. And Um, What's been beautiful uh, to also look into every week is just the folklore around each of these plants that we talk about. And in Chinese medicine, the fruit of the forsythia is actually harvested to make medicine. And I actually have it in one of my acupuncture blends. And it's, I mean, antibacterial, antiviral. It's used to um, boost the lungs and in some cases, they're even experimenting with using it in cancer treatments. So lots of um, potency uh, with this fruit of the forsythia. And um, in the Korean folklore, this is actually the city flower of Seoul. So um, it's a flower that's also very present in Korea. And they have a folklore about a legend of a man returning to see his wife after a long journey and finding her waiting by a forsythia bush. And um, it just represents this uh, rejuvenation of love after, you know, a time of separation. So I just love how there's all these different mythologies around each of the flowers that we explore every week. One of the things we love to do is look up the etymology of 
the theme. And so this week's theme of wholeness uh, originally is from Old English, wholeness or being whole, sound, or well, which then has uh, roots in sort of German, which means whole, uninjured, of good omen. And so I, I love, you know, that wholeness is inherently about it's a positive association, right? And and you sort of think about the opposite of it, which is then like brokenness and separation. And so where are the sort of opportunities that we have uh, to connect to our wholeness? Um, and what does that sort of look like and mean? I'm going through right now a, a series called The Art of Waging Peace. And it's led by the Zen monk in... Hawaii, uh, that I've mentioned before, Norma Wong. And she's really been talking a lot about how do we go from wholeness to wholeness, right? Like, how do we sort of break that idea of separation and, and really sort of connect to our, our larger well-being? And so this sort of theme of wholeness this week has been resonant because I just, we've had two two-hour sessions already this week and really diving into being intact. When I think of wholeness, I oftentimes think of the symbol of the circle. And I'm actually mm-hmm. uh, struck by how, what does it mean when it's this straight and upright like a bush of the forsythia? And, and what's coming up is how much unity and alignment there has to be for something to grow out in this way. And I've been noticing on the land, so many flowers kind of breaking through the ground after this long germination of winter. We just crossed the spring equinox here. And, and what does that feel like to have to have to break through the ground to be able to emerge? Mm. And yeah, in many ways, that's kind of how it feels to me. I'm curious, how does the feeling of wholeness reside in you, Omar, when you when you live it or feel into that? That's an interesting question. Um, I love how you always jump to the, the, the embodied part of the, this work, right? So it's not just kind of wholeness as a concept, but what is wholeness as a feeling? I know that I, it, I kind of, I think about it almost as um, when you're in the zone, like in sports or if you're like into art or like if you have like a very concentrated focus it and you know it's this sort of balance between you know being in the zone is is a balance of of being present in the moment and where your sort of self-discipline um is alive as well right because you you to whether you you're an artist or you play sports and you have that sort of concentrated focus it comes from that repetition right like the artist arlene kim suda spent 100 days illustrating 100 different plants and so for me, it's just, yeah, I get the feeling of in the zone and I'm just like, almost time slows down a little bit and you're like, it's, you're able to kind of see things um, in motion um, with just a little bit more clarity. Wow. It almost feels like you're like zoomed in and zoomed out at the same time in this like equilibrium. <laughs> right. All the things. And so, yeah, it would be wonderful to hear how the artist Arlene Kim Suda 
came to really hearing the word wholeness while looking at the Forsythia. Here is the story of the wholeness card featuring the Forsythia. This is a flower I crossed paths with at Belinda's retreat center in Mount Shasta. Her retreat center called Hestia is named after the Greek goddess of home and hearth, and it has always been a special place where friends come together to become grounded and connected to nature and the earth again. This particular visit was with a special group of girlfriends in the early spring of 2015. The Forsythia plant caught my eye with its bright yellow blooms one morning, and after drawing it, I had this immense feeling of gratitude for the wholeness I felt being a guest at such a beautiful place. It was like there was this sense or realization that there was nothing broken or in need of fixing or healing at that particular moment. The knowing came from the land and the bounty of water and rocks and trees growing there. I still remember lovingly writing the words wholeness with my non-dominant left hand as a symbolic thank you to Hestia for the lessons in wholeness that she taught me that day. Did you know, Belinda, that the wholeness of this theme came from your retreat center? I I know that there are a few flowers in the 39 collection that was from the land, but I... I I don't remember this one in particular. So it's interesting that Arlene actually was noticing the the flowers uh, even before, you know, I became aware. Um, so, you know, my relationship with Forsythia was just like a year ago, really, <laughs> being present with them. One hat that you wear is co-founder of Gratitude Blooming, co-host of, you know, the Gratitude Blooming podcast, but also... You are a steward of a 10-acre retreat center in Mount Shasta. You t- intentionally use the word steward when you talk about the 10 acres uh, in Mount Shasta. Why, why that word? You know, I, we talk a lot about right relationship, you know, right relationship with people, right relationship with the planet, right relationship with the land. And I feel like this idea of ownership almost... Um, it kind of connotes like that it's a transaction. So I paid money for something and therefore I am entitled to it and I can do as I wish. And one of the things that I've learned over the years is it's a very humbling relationship to get to know land, almost like a a dear friend and take the time to really listen and understand what what its personality is like. And Steward kind of has this sense and feeling of that it's this reciprocal relationship and whereas like owning something feel there's a different energy to it and and it's almost like our response you know yes we pay the mortgage and our responsibility to it is more like a servant of the land and you know like I'm in service of you I get to live here I get to experience this I get to invite people to enjoy and also take part in the care and the tending to of it. Well, it also just sounds like, you know, if the opposite of wholeness is separation, stewardship sort of says, hey, there is no separation. And I'm not going to let this sort of deed define the relationship between you uh, and uh, the land. And I think that 
you know, as you were talking, sort of two things kind of popped into my mind. One was the words right relationship. I've, I've heard that term used in particularly like Zen type practices and settings. And I always loved the sound of it, but I was like, but what does it really mean to be in right relationship? And it wasn't until um, I was reading Adrienne Marie Brown's book on emergent strategy when she defined right relationship as being in right distance um, between. So when you're in right distance, then you're not too close, you're not too far, you're in right relationship. And, and that then really came alive for me uh, when you and I first sort of started talking, I think about a year ago, about murmuration, right? And like the moving of like starling birds. And it's like, it's this dynamic. There's not like one lead bird that's telling all the other birds like, hey, go left, go right. No, and there's the physics behind it, it sort of correlates is that each of the birds is in right relationship to the other birds. And it's actually like seven other birds around it. So that way they can move dynamically and be sensitive to like, hey, we're now all moving left. We're now all moving right. And you see this in nature with like schools of fish, right? You see a huge school of fish and how they move in right relationship without bumping into each other because they're so close or being so far apart that they can't actually be, uh, you know, moving in, in a synchronistic way. And so just I love really thinking about wholeness through this lens of right relationship. The other part of stewardship, as you were talking, reminded me of the quote that we were talking about earlier today, which is, the gardener does not make a plant grow. The job of a gardener is to create optimal conditions. This is a a quote from Ken Robinson. And it really, in some ways, puts things into perspective, right? Like, hey, the plant is going to grow right? The, the land is going to grow whether or not we are there. The question is, what kind of relationship do we want to have with the land? What kind of relationship do we want to have with that plant? And then defining as the gardener really made that sort of idea very crystal clear for me. So then all of a sudden it was like, oh, we're the gardeners of our own life, right? Like we create the conditions for what we want to grow. And then gratitude becomes this thing where Gratitude actually doesn't make things good. All the practice of gratitude does is it makes visible what we value. The goodness is already there, right? The plant is already going to grow in one way or another. It's more about what right relationship do we want to have and how does that really shape the the optimal conditions for our thriving? Yeah, and it really wasn't until I had this type of intimate, deep relationship with the land here in Mount Shasta that I really understood that like wholeness contains so many different spectrums of emotion, of, of life, of death, of, uh, you know, dark and night and just all of the different aspects of being alive and, and witnessing nature in a new way over winter for me was really profound. You know, I, I, in the Bay area, you're constantly in this state of eternal spring almost. And, you know, really learning to live into the cold and the dark of winter, it was this new perspective on wholeness that I received, which was, you know, sometimes you, you, you have to go there, go into that edge of discomfort to find yourself again. You know, the trees just, they didn't resist 
the dark days. They didn't resist the the shrinking down and going deeply inward and under the ground. They just were they were just naturally kind of going with those cycles and it makes me wonder, you know, if I was less resistant to some of those edges, would would there just be more natural ease around my own, you know, flow of life? Inherently in the word resistance is this idea of separation. And, you know, it's this idea that wholeness, you know, you asked really earlier uh, in the podcast, what does wholeness feel like? And I didn't have a very good answer, you know, and, and I think now all of a sudden as we're talking about it, wholeness feels like floating down a river, mm. right? And you're, you're not resisting the current of the river. And if you ever have gone like river rafting and, you know, it's always fun to be in the boat, but I always love the parts where you get to jump out of the boat and they're like, Hey, these are the swimmer rapids. And, you know, they just say, hey, put your feet forward, lean back and just enjoy the ride. That to me is the feeling of wholeness. You're not resisting the river. You're not trying to sort of swim across it. You're just like, let the current carry me and let me enjoy it. Let me enjoy the sun. Let me feel like the brisk water, you know, splashing on my face. And and it's just it, there's a buoyancy too, right? Because you know, yes, you have a, a life jacket on generally, and so then all of a sudden there's a buoyancy, there's a lightness to it, there's you know, a freshness of the water. Uh, and so, what does it look like to be able to have that sort of presence of wholeness, not just in that sort of literal river, but you know, in the in the river of life as well? So, as you were creating these cards, and you know, the first part was uh, Arlene spending the 100 days and illustrating them. And then it was then a collaborative effort to come up with some questions around each of these themes as the the plant sort of shared a word to Arlene. What was the prompt that uh, came to you all when you uh, looked at this word wholeness? So card number four, Forsythia, representing wholeness. Wholeness requires integrating different, sometimes contradictory sides of ourselves. What does wholeness feel like to you? <laughs> well, I answered now what wholeness feels like for me and, you know, just sort of floating down the river. So as you sort of now reflect on this question, what what jumps out for you? Well, it's interesting to think about the forsythia as its whole shrub, you know, and this is in the illustration. It's just one branch. I think about how can I be this bright yellow shrub and holding all of these different kinds of branches with all these different ways that the flower is kind of blooming and acknowledging and embracing all of these different parts. And so it feels like a big hug to myself and all the different (laughs) parts of me, you know, like the color yellow, I just love. And I'm, I, I love it more and more every spring because you're starting to see these like daffodils and forsythia coming out. And there's something very inviting about them where I almost feel like they're, they want me to approach them. And so I, I, how would it feel if I was so inviting to myself, like, come here, all of you, I appreciate you. I acknowledge all of you. And, you know, not all those branches are going to have a beautiful set of yellow flowers, healthy and blooming. Sometimes 
maybe one branch is, you know, less healthy than the other, but it's all part of this beautiful whole. So I, I kind of imagine it's that feeling of like the warm sun and how inviting that is. That's I, I love that definition of wholeness as like a warm hug. Um, in part just because then it's relational, right? Like it's not just um, you by yourself. Uh, and then I think the other piece that comes to mind with this idea of even self-embracing um, or self-acceptance, you know, is really the practice of self-compassion, right? Like, which is how do you be a friend to yourself? Uh, and and really being accepting of you for all of who you are. And I think this is a thing that we can easily forget. Like, and in, in you, you kind of alluded to this in some ways with you moving from the perennial spring of Oakland to the very dramatic changes in seasons in Shasta, where it's not like winter is somehow better or worse than summer. Right. It's not like, oh, this is good and that's bad. It's like, no, it's these are just the seasons. This is what they are. And there's a wholeness that is just part of that. And I think this is sometimes what ends up happening is that we think of wholeness as static, as like a place in time, um, as opposed to something that's really fluid and is able to move. And in you know, and you said at the beginning of the podcast, your initial sort of symbolic image of wholeness was a circle. But in many ways, what I'm hearing, or I don't know, like the image that's now coming to mind is more of like the yin-yang symbol where, yes, it's a circle, but there's like the two sides of it. And even within the two sides, you know, each one has a little bit of the other. Um, And then all of a sudden, wholeness is much more rich and dynamic and fluid. Yeah, it's like the interconnectedness of of all these parts and um it, one of the things I came across when I was researching the Forsythia that I was curious if Arlene was going to actually pick up on this is that the Forsythia is actually related to the car, the number four. And this is the fourth card of <laughs> the card deck out of 39. And the four represents the four elements, earth, air, fire, and water, mm. as well as the cardinal directions and the four seasons. And the four is sometimes the number connected to creativity. So it's just, it's it's a lot of what you're saying. It's like on so many different levels of like interconnectedness that I'm I'm feeling and right now with, with this card and the number. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I've never noticed the four in Forsythia and that it was card number four in the deck. Um, that's awesome. That's what we love to call beautiful coincidence, um, or synchronicity, uh, which then is just really about accepting things as they are without sort of expectation. And maybe that's kind of like what ends up happening is we create these expectations. And then when those things don't happen, then we create these sort of like separation and that resistance. And, you know, cause it is so hard sometimes to just sort of embrace to give yourself that warm hug for all of who you are. So then as we like continue, you know, in thinking about wholeness, we're about to launch our first NFT on April 8th, which also happens to be um, apparently Buddha's birthday. Uh, And and this was, this was the other thing that uh, somebody shared in my meeting this morning was that, uh, 
We're all Buddhas with bad habits. I love that. <laughs> and so, um, so on April 8th, we're going to be launching our first NFT for Gratitude Blooming. And I really feel like there's a beautiful story in how, you know, this went from one artist's individual practice, right? Spending 100 days really learning to listen to the plants um, by paying attention, right? And then receiving a word through that practice. And then you coming along and saying, like, these are so amazing. I love the art. I love these themes. And you'd already spent a bunch of time working, you know, on how do we create, you know, different practices of gratitude that really are resonant. Um, I launched a gratitude app and, you know, we've both like really been trying to think about how do you make these practices feel relevant and accessible? And so you created this beautiful card deck, COVID hits and you can't hold sort of gratitude circles in person anymore. And so both of us separately, we didn't even really know each other at this point, go online and start holding spaces. And then we created that digital deck um, that we have on a website that, you know, we look at the back of the cards and really randomly sort of embrace randomness as a way to disrupt habit, which then allows us to just be present to what is. That takes off. We start holding gratitude circles for healthcare workers, for corporate leaders, for foundations, all sorts of people. And then you brought me on as, as a partner into Gratitude Blooming. And I've always struggled a little bit. And I don't know if we want to talk about this now, but I love the cards. I know that the practice works. We've, you know, working with essential workers, people who are beyond stressed out and really creating calm and healing, right? Some restoring of that brokenness back into wholeness. The healing of the healers was our campaign. But from a business standpoint, I'm like, who buys gratitude cards, <laughs> right? Like people have heard of like gratitude journals and the practice of journaling. There's gratitude apps, but in some ways mimic. Um, that sort of very, you know, um, basic experience. And so it's always been a struggle to like, you know, and this is getting a little wonky, but, you know, I think it's sometimes it's helpful for people to hear the sort of behind the scenes, you know, part of this, which is like, what's the search engine, the SEO sort of, there's no keywords for gratitude cards, right? Like when you, you search gratitude cards, you often get thank you cards, right? And that's not really what this is about um and that's actually you know i've been thinking about the three different levels of gratitude right thank you cards in some ways is level number one <laughs> right and it's like you've done something for me and so i'm going to say thank you but it's all about somebody doing something for you and so it's just sort of acknowledging someone's actions um, and oftentimes we say, oh, I appreciate it. We don't say, I appreciate you. We're not acknowledging the person. We're just sort of acknowledging the action. So that's like level one. Then level two is sort of like, okay, as an intentional practice, how do I make visible what I value, right? And really sort of recognize in some ways some of the intrinsic things that you had nothing to do, right? Like the fact the sun comes out, breathing air, that your lungs are taking in this oxygen and processing it. And then it spits it out and like, you know, gives carbon dioxide plants, you know, what it needs. And it's this beautiful sort of cycle. And it's just sort of, again, just making visible um, what's there. And then the sort of third piece of gratitude around this fearless gratitude, which is like, how do we acknowledge all the things that we're not seeing, right? Like, what are we actually taking for granted and not appreciating? And sometimes those are 
the shadow sides of our emotions, right? Like sometimes there is sort of wholeness is not with a W, it's just an H, right? It's just a whole. <laughs> and yeah. so like, you know, how do we sort of acknowledge some of those things? Um, and that, you know, you don't start there, right? Like it, you build up in these practices. Um, but when NFTs have come along, then all of a sudden, like, you know, and I've been up jumping up and down with you and uh, the uh, Arlene of like, hey, people just appreciate the art. Like, and, you know, and, and so now we can actually like just present in some ways, I feel like this is full circle, right? This project started with art and now with NFTs, we're being given the opportunity to present uh, Arlene's work you know, with everything else that has come along the way, but it's not all of a sudden like a weird thing. Like we're not having to sort of tell people like, oh, this is how you use a gratitude deck. These are now NFTs and people can use them however uh, is resonant for them uh, with all of our intentions um, that we put into it. You know, I was actually talking with uh, two friends who are visiting at our retreat center right now, and both of them uh, practice with the Gratitude Blooming Guard deck. They're also yoga instructors. They both work in higher education. So they've been introducing these practices uh, with staff and students. And I was like, how would you, what, what does gratitude mean to you? And one of them just said, it's just remembering the interconnectedness that I, you know, I am a part of, of a bigger ecosystem. I'm really, I'm connected to other people. I'm connected to nature. I'm connected to something beyond myself. And I just thought that was such a beautiful way to um, to describe it. And also, you know, it, it is essentially the embodiment of gratitude blooming. You know, we use these 39 plants and their wisdom as a way to remember this deep interconnection that we all have and, and all of these different aspects of life that um, we all experience. None of us are alone in that. And nature is such a profound and omnipresent teacher in showing us all of these things. You know, last week we talked about humility, which is actually, according to a lot of old philosophers like Seneca and, and social science researchers like Robert Emmons on gratitude. I mean, they all say, you know, humility is the hardest virtue. And and, you know, we're hitting towards the end of the our exploration of the 39 cards. And the last few, I, I feel like we're saving for the end because they are um, so big um, and such a big part of, like, the journey of being a person and learning about all the aspects of life that we have a chance to explore. Well, I, I love your friend's definition of it being a reminder um, because that's all it really is. And that's in part why I love that quote about the gardener. And the gardener's job isn't to make the plant grow, right? The, the gardener's role is just to create the optimal conditions. And in some ways, the plant is the reminder of your role, right? Like, and, and so thinking about the practice of gratitude is like, well, what are those constant reminders that are all around us to sort of remember like, oh, right, like I get to be a part of this. This is a gift. This is an opportunity, even if I'm challenging, even in the dead of winter and it's cold and electricity goes out, which I'm sure it has for you. Um, 
Like I get to be out here. I chose to leave the comforts of Oakland and, you know, a five minute walk to a local coffee shop that could make your coffee the exact way. And I know, Belinda, you have an exact way that you probably like your coffee, right? But fortunately, you married a chef, so you're all, you're I'm all, taken you're care all good. Of. But you're taken care of even in the sort of remote uh, part of uh, Mount Shasta. But that that reminder is so key. And I think this is the hardest part of gratitude, right? And like having launched the gratitude app, gee, thanks. We, you know, in the first like three, four months, we had 30,000 downloads. And so we were constantly doing customer surveys and we would ask like, Hey, why aren't you using the app? You know? And the number one reason was I forget, right? Like gratitude is like, it's so obvious and yet we forget. This is why maybe sometimes that first level of gratitude, which is to say thank you to someone, someone giving you something is a, just a reminder of like, oh, I should be grateful. And it's just sort of like to be in a space of recognizing that we're constantly receiving is work. You know, and I think that that is definitely, you know, the truth to this all is that it's not easy necessarily. Like it does take, you know, effort, at least intention, I'll say. You know, because the mind does have a biological bias to A, see things in a negative way, but B, to be lazy, right? It's just more efficient to sort of just kind of not have to pay attention, you know, and this is why, and this is for really the folks that are joining us um, on Fireside Chat, like one of the ways that we talk about gratitude is really the practice of noticing, right? And so if meditation begins with noticing each breath, mindfulness begins with noticing change, the practice of gratitude begins with noticing good. Noticing is really at the heart of each of these practices and bringing awareness um, to you know our our attention um, and where our attention goes, you know that's where we get distracted. So this is actually changing because of what Omar shared around his metaphor of being in water. So I was originally imagining being on earth for this practice. Water's on earth, but yes, I get yes, your point. <laughs> so for this practice, I invite you to just close your eyes and we're just going to take a moment to visualize that we're all here floating down a river together. So just take a moment to visualize this canoe that we're sitting on together. And you're sitting and looking ahead, floating in the water. And right now you're in this really comfortable flow as you're sitting and floating down this river. And this is your place of comfort. Just moving forward in your flow with ease. Looking around, just in this nice rhythm. And take a breath, just noticing how it feels when you're just in that state of equilibrium in your body. When everything just feels like it's going smoothly, steadily. Just appreciating that possibility when we're at that place in our lives. Now we're going to just imagine the quickening 
of the pace of the current as we're sitting on this canoe. And just notice how it feels when life starts to pick up speed, when things feel like they're accelerating. We're losing a little bit of control over what we're used to. Just really breathe into that pace of acceleration. Just remembering in your body how it feels to just be anchored in your equilibrium. Just through your breath. Breathing in. Releasing. Even though we're floating down the river and it's feeling fast and chaotic a little bit, how can we just go back to our center? And sometimes the discomfort of change is hard. And just remembering that we have that choice to come back to our center, to remember what it feels like to be steady and smooth, even in the midst of change and acceleration. And that wholeness is this dance with life, being able to continually balance and integrate these contradictory feelings that we might have at any given moment. Just appreciating that we're never alone in this canoe down the river. We're all going through something together, even if we don't know it. Thank you, Belinda, for the beautiful practice to close us. And I, I think focusing on flow and that movement in some ways was my first definition that I had for what does wholeness feel like? And I said being in the zone. And it, the zone is that sort of flow state where inspiration meets self-discipline. So I wish you all well. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate the opportunity to experiment how we share our love of nature, gratitude, and art, um, and wishing you all well. Cheers. Cheers.